0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra.
1: What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, against my uh, my better judgment, but I am here, and uh, we're gonna figure this out together, everybody.
0: Kevin, you're not the only one going through right now. Your boys got COVID. Uh, I got it, you know, pretty good as far as you know when it comes to uh, other cases of COVID, but uh, you know, it's still kind of annoying, but be no problem to kind of get through this uh, episode. Kevin, I know um, you on this episode is a depressing day just based on what happened with the Colts on Sunday, but uh, it's something we're going to have to talk about my guy. Um, You ready to go over this agenda though? Yes, sir. All right. So kind of like what we said at the top, first things first, we're going to go over the absolute debacle that took place between the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. It is, Well, it is well worth mentioning that the Colts flat out didn't show up in week 18 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars pretty much spanked them from the beginning of the game until the end of the game and essentially end any sort of shot that the Colts had of making the playoffs. I'll let Kevin have the floor on that one when we get to that topic in a little bit. But outside of that, we also have some other NFL topics to discuss as well. Uh, one of them being the 49ers getting one of the last NFC wildcard spots in a huge overtime win over the Los Angeles Rams. I can't believe we actually got that pick right, Kevin. Good good on us. It's a miracle, um, bro. <laughs> fantastic drives by Jimmy G to lead them down to get them into scoring position before overtime took place, and then they get the overtime field goal that gave them the three-point lead. And then that rookie corner, I forget the guy's name, ended up getting the uh, the game-winning interception.
1: It was a Odell rookie Becker. corner. I can't yeah.
0: remember who it was either. But the 49ers are there. We'll talk about that a little bit in the game itself. Um, after that, we're gonna kick it over to the AFC and we're gonna focus on one game in particular, and that is gonna be the Steelers and the Ravens matchup. So the Steelers, they are looking to claim a wild card spot. They look to be in the driver's seat at this current moment in time. Um, when you guys hear this you guys will know whether or not that the Steelers got in based on the possibility of either the Raiders winning or the Chargers winning. But if both teams were to tie the Steelers would be out, I believe. So we'll kind of see how that kind of unfolds, but we'll talk about the game that the Steelers had against the Ravens though. And then we're going to focus on just the NFL playoff seedings as they are currently constructed. So the NFC slate is entirely set, um, one through seven. The Packers are the top seed. All the uh, wild card spots have been figured out. As far as the AFC goes, all the divisional winners are set. Uh, the Patriots are the only team that have a wild card spot locked at this current moment in time. But it's really just based off of uh, the Steelers haven't clinched a spot yet, and with the Chargers and rating, excuse me, with the Chargers and the Raiders still. Vying for those spots, those won't be set until after the conclusion of that Raiders Chargers game. So, talk about that for a little bit. After that, we're going to kick it over to college football. We got the college football championship going on on Monday that is going to take place between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Alabama Crim- Crimson Tide. Uh, probably the biggest game of the year. I think that's something that we expected Kevin for months. Now this matchup between Georgia and Alabama should be a good one. Uh, We'll talk about that towards the end of the episode. And then to round out the episode, uh, we're going to kick it over to the NBA for one topic. Uh, Clay Thompson is going to make his start, his first start of the season in 2022 against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, We're going to talk just about the expectations that we're going to have for Clay for the rest of the season and the overall impact that he's going to have for the golden state warriors as the season goes on. I mean, golden state has been absolutely phenomenal this year, despite clay's absence, but I imagine with clay Thompson back in the lineup, it is going to be scary season for the golden state warriors. And pretty much the entire NBA is going to be on notice with him back in the fold for the warriors. But that's the agenda that we have for you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the episode and let's focus on Kevin's team, which is the Indianapolis Colts. So, the Colts' season comes to an end after a disappointing loss, to say the least, after losing to the hands of the Jacksonville Jaguars by the score of 26-11. to 11, The Jaguars led this one from wire to wire. They were decisive in this win over the Colts, where the Colts had no answer whatsoever with what the Jags presented them offensively or defensively throughout the entirety of the game. It's like I said... Uh, the Colts season does come to an end. They had an opportunity to claim a wild card spot to guarantee them into the playoffs. But unfortunately, they find themselves on the outside look again, and there will be a lot of questions being raised about what, what went wrong with the Colts in the last couple of weeks of the season. Kevin, the floor is yours. Just what happened with the Colts against the Jacksonville Jaguars this past weekend?
1: I mean, what didn't happen? realistically um shit offense bad defense um special teams can't really say much about it obviously you know we uh we punted the ball well we made a field goal we got we went for two instead of uh the extra point on our one touchdown of the game that was irrelevant so i can't really say all phases were shit but um overall just a bad performance by the team you can tell that Jacksonville would come out ready for everything and anything, and that the Colts just came out flat. I knew that this game was going to go south based on the first drive of Trevor Lawrence going 9 of 9, throwing for, like, 70-something yards, going down the field and scoring a touchdown. Um, Rocky Stin goes down in that first drive. Kenny Moore goes down that first drive. Kenny ends up coming back. But, I mean, you can tell that Kenny has just been out of it the last two games. I mean, you know, one of our our, our, uh, our proud Pro Bowlers uh, was just getting cooked pretty much the last couple of games. and just It was horrible. Carson Wentz. Look like garbage. The offensive line is probably the biggest fault here for me as a Colts fan. It was arguably, if not obviously, our best feature all year was the dominance that our offensive line was able to provide. Whether or not we had members missing due to COVID or injury, you saw that the depth that Chris Ballard in the front office was able to provide behind the starting five was viable dominant and and just very 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 uh run heavy and they really really loved when the, the run plays were were designated so for us to get abused on the offensive line or just the line of scrimmage in general is kind of embarrassing to pretty much every extent you could think of I mean Carson Wentz was sacked six times and I know what you're thinking Carson Wentz is known for getting sacked he's known for trying to extend the play but genuinely I watched this game pretty much almost until the end Uh, Carson had no time to throw the ball today. There was a lot of times where the pocket just collapsed and I'm looking at the left side of the ball, just at Eric Fisher, I said it at the beginning of the year. I didn't like the signing. I didn't like the price tag that he was given. And I was right, whether or not I was right for the right reasons, because I thought that the injury itself was going to be the reason why he didn't play a lot of games. But in reality, his performance is the reason why I'm not happy. He gave up two or three sacks early on in the first half, uh, to Josh Allen specifically. He was getting beat the majority of the game, and he was not benched until the fourth quarter where it was too late. Um, aside from not being able to protect Carson, they weren't able to provide holes and lanes for Jonathan Taylor. It was always those second and third efforts that Jonathan had to provide uh, fighting at the line of scrimmage to either spin out or kind of try to break the first or two, first or second tackle to really get it, gain any positive yards. We were stopped on fourth down multiple times because Jacksonville knew, listen, load up this box. We're crushing this offensive line all day. We're going to stop them, and they did. Trevor Lawrence looked like Joe Montana today, absolutely unstoppable. The defense that we brought onto the field is not the defense that we've had all year. Darius Leonard was a non-factor. The pass rush was a non-factor. We, we uh, sacked Trevor Lawrence once. We weren't able to get any turnovers. We weren't able to get any big stops, and uh, it shows. So like I said, I, I, I can't be mad anymore because I'm actually just relieved I don't have to watch this team on Sundays anymore. I'm relieved that I don't have to watch this team play in the playoffs and get embarrassed on national television and say, wow, that was a waste of a wild card spot. I'm just over it. The fact that we had three points against the worst team in the NFL back-to-back years up until the fourth quarter was embarrassing. It was atrocious. It was – every heinous synonym you can think of is running through my mind. But, again, I also don't have the vocabulary that I wish I did. So I'm just going to say we played like shit. I'm not happy about it. I'm pissed, and we don't deserve to be in the playoff. We say we, we, Colts fans were saying it all week. If we lose to the Jags, if we play like shit to the Jags, we don't deserve to be in the postseason. That's what
0: happened. Well, now that the season is over, now that you can kind of take stock of the entire year, you know what were some things that you kind of kind of look back on that is like you could have done some things a little bit differently and maybe some things that you could look forward to going into the off season and going into next year. My
1: biggest thing that we need this off season, granted, I know it's different for every Colt fan, but for me, um, our defense is clearly our best attribute outside of our offensive line, right? Our defense plays well in our zone. We don't know what's going to happen with Matt Eberflus if he's going to take another job, if he's going to come back, whatever the case is, but we have playmakers on the defensive side of the ball We don't have a pass rush. Our pass rush has been bare minimum all year long. It's been bare minimum. It's been at the bottom of the NFL in terms of league average for the last couple of seasons. Our best pass rusher was DeForest Buckner, who is a defensive tackle and who demands a double team every time he's on the field. And he had seven. Our first round pick missed about four games this year, and he had about five sacks. AQ Muhammad, Alquan Muhammad had six sacks this year freaking uh oh my god of course now i'm starting to forget his name but the point of the matter is uh oh uh kamoko terry had five and a half sacks as a unit that's terrible there was nobody that was progressively dominant there's no pass rush that was really able to get to the quarterback and make their life hell so that's the top priority for me i know for a fact we need to go go out out and get a receiver i know we need a left tackle because eric fisher better not be on that fucking roster next year so help me jesus christ um and, uh, you know, like I said, we, we, we definitely need a wide receiver. T.Y. Hilton, I love you. I respect you for everything you've done for this organization. Between you missing basically half the season and being almost a non factor the entire year when you were on the field, um, you got to go. Whether you retire or go to another team, that's it. I'm done. I'm over it. Paris Campbell missed 35 games in three years, one of our top picks a couple of years back. You got to get the fuck out of here. I'm tired of you being Brittle Glass. We already had T.Y. being Glass, and now. Now you're doing the same shit. You got to go. So the wide receiver room is going to be really, really, really thin. Uh, Michael Pittman obviously had a breakout year. So with him being basically the only reliable receiver outside of Zach Paschal, um, I think we're definitely going to need some help in the wide receiver room. So whether that's free agency or in the draft, I think that those are our top four needs. And in no particular order because we need them all. Wide receiver, left tackle, pass rush, and then, of course, um, Oh, my God. What the hell did I just say? Um, oh, and I, I didn't say it. I think I uh, I think I think we need some cornerback depth. I don't know if Rocky Ossian is going to get um, an extension. I don't know if Xavier Rhodes is coming back. Probably not. T.J. Carey was on a one-year deal. Isaiah Rogers is on a 10-year. I don't exactly know the length of his contract or his situation. So we have no idea what the hell is coming back on, in the cornerback room as well. So we definitely have some some big needs to fill because this team, if we come back basically reloaded, we're not going to win a damn fucking thing.
0: Now, what about Frank? Frank stuck to 2026.
1: 20, as much as I want him gone, it, it ain't happening. The bare minimum that can happen, or excuse me, the maximum that can happen is play calling gets taken away from him. Because by the time we realize that we were losing or down bad, Frank wants to run the ball when we're down 20 points. I don't. I I don't get it. So I've said enough on Frank Reich. The team actually was more shitty than his play calling was today. So I can't blame Frank if Carson had no time to throw, and I can't blame Frank if the offensive line isn't giving holds for Jonathan Taylor.
0: I think the one thing that's kind of shocking to me about the the Colts game against the Jags, though, is just it's one thing to lose to the Jaguars. You know, they're one of your divisional teams that you play twice a year, and pretty much those divisional teams know those divisional teams better than anybody else does because they play them so often. I was just amazed at how decisive that they were in this win over the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, there was a no point where I thought the Colts had a legitimate shot to get back in it outside of the first quarter. After the first quarter, man, they just couldn't get anything going. Carson was being pressured all day. I believe he was set what, six times in that game? You know, the amount of turnovers that the Colts had against the Jaguars, I thought was just stunning. I couldn't believe it. had two or three. The, the, the Jaguars were coming off probably their worst loss of the entire season, which was at the hands of the New England Patriots, where they put up 50 points against them. And you would think that the Colts would think that, it's like, man, the Jags are down bad going into this game even though that the Colts had lost the prior game to this one against the Raiders, you would think it'd be a good bounce back game to at least, you know, clinch a wild card spot in the AFC playoffs. But this was just a pitiful, it was a pitiful performance. There's no other way to say it. Embarrassing, shocking. I mean, you can come up with a litany of different synonyms to describe what took place in Jacksonville with the Colts. But all in all, man, I, I, they just got abused on the line of scrimmage today. Jacksonville owned that line of scrimmage from beginning to end. And I'm just amazed at how Jacksonville played, bro. They, this is probably the best performance that they've had probably in two seasons as far as one of their wins go. And Aside from we, the Buffalo win that they had earlier this year, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, even that one, that that game was so low scoring. It was nine to six. So I wouldn't say, like, Jacksonville looked really good in that game. The Jags looked pretty decent in this one, as far as, like, being a competitive team goes. But really the main story is the Colts, man. I mean, you're sitting at a 9-6 record two weeks ago. You have a home game against the Raiders. You win that game, you clinch a playoff spot. You drop that one. You go on the road to play probably the worst team in the NFL or arguably the worst team in the NFL. And they got destroyed. I just, I can't believe it. You know, I I mean, it's really kind of hard to digest the fact that both you and I thought that the the Colts were going to be a playoff team. We both kind of had that circled in probably two or three weeks ago because they had been on a pretty good uh, surge the last month or so but you want to talk about blowing a tire on the last turn I mean this is this is ridiculous I'm not saying that head should go based off of you know what took place here but man th- those guys are gonna have a tough off season knowing that they had two games to make a playoff spot and they just couldn't get it done Yeah,
1: and uh, I want to make one final comment. Of course, on Colt's Twitter, everybody loves to automatically blame somebody specific. They love to just attack one person on our staff in particular. And they have been attacking this individual for the last couple of weeks. I've had about enough of this. And I think all of you that agree are idiots. There's no in between. Like You know nothing about the concept of football or how it's supposed to be played. If you're blaming Matt Eberflus for our struggles, you do not know anything about this team. Frank Reich is 1,000% to blame about this entire season and how it has gone outside of maybe injuries and COVID. Matt Eberflus has turned this defense around in the last four years with a bunch of random, no-name, older veteran and rookie players. Darius Leonard was a person none of us knew who turned out to be a stud. Corey Willis, Julian Blackman, all of these players were random rookies. Rocky Sin, all of them. And we have become an above-average defense outside of a pass rush since he has been hired. He has been in the running for a head coach position, in which I would prefer him as our head coach, as opposed to Frank, for the last two seasons in which he has decided to stay in Indianapolis. So let's look at the overall picture. We've blown multiple 10-point leads in which the offense could not get a damn thing going at all to where that puts the defense on the field. And Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. This seems a little bit more like common sense. If the defense is on the field for a long time, what happens to a human being? Do they get tired or something? Do they get a little bit winded? Do they have a little bit less energy towards the end of the game where a team's going to be able to come back, or, or am I just bullshitting?
0: No, they'd be a little bit more tired.
1: So so when the offense is going out there and they're putting out three and outs left and right, they're not able to put any fucking points on the board in the fourth quarter, and teams are just mowing down the field consistently because this defense is gassed, and because playmakers on the field are not with no pass rush and a weakened secondary, that means that it's all Matt Eberflus's fault. I forgot Matt Eberflus Matt Eberflus also calls the offense. If you say that he's to blame again, you know nothing about the sport. Our offense has not been able to do a fucking thing the last 2-3 weeks realistically. We did not deserve to win the Cardinals game. The Cardinals beat themselves between penalties and turnovers. Re- seriously, Carson Wentz gets lucky with a Hail Mary against the fucking Raiders last week, and suddenly people are sucking his dick. It, it, it better to be lucky than talented. No, it's a bad fucking throw. The offensive line gets mowed down all day today, but that's Matt Eberflus's defense's fault when the Jaguars had the possession in the first half for more than 22 minutes. What do you expect? We have no pass rush. We lost a corner. We had a practice squad corner out on the field today. What, what do you guys want? What is Flus supposed to do? You guys, wake up. It is Frank's fault, and Carson's poor performance in the last two weeks are the reason why we are not in the playoffs. It has nothing to do with Matty Eberflus. Should we have executed better? Sure we should have. We should have executed better in every single fucking phase, offense and defense. But to solely blame our defensive coordinator who has turned one of the worst defenses in the NFL just a few years ago into a top 10, top 15 defense? I don't think you're really paying attention to the big picture here because Frank's play calling has been god-awful for the last couple of years and our inconsistencies at quarterback in which we've rotated quarterbacks four or five times since Andrew Luck's fucking retired, but that's Matt Eberflus's fault fucking too, right? Wake up, realize our head coach is the problem, and leave our damn defensive coordinator alone because I guarantee you if Matt Eberflus takes a head coaching job this offseason, we're going to fucking regret all the shit talk you all did this year. Shut up. Get Frank Reich out of there. You want to start a hashtag? You want to start a Twitter sphere, a fucking – an argument on Twitter? Make it about our head coach because our defensive coordinator sure as it doesn't deserve the slander he's been getting.
0: Well, I mean, even in the Jacksonville game, I mean, there were multiple times where it looked like the Jags were going to be up not just two possessions but three possessions after uh, the Colts had some turnover issues or they didn't convert on fourth down. I mean I remember specifically I think it was towards the end of the first half in that game where Jacksonville could have been up like 24-3 at halftime. And yeah, I think they were only up 13-3. Yeah, so when I look at the Colts man, they just played extremely poor today. And in in the probably you know the game that you need to get it was the worst time to have that type of game, and it really kind of goes to show that, man, Indianapolis—they just cannot play Jacksonville. They just oh. cannot play well whatsoever. This is what now—seven straight years where they haven't won in Jacksonville. That's a tough stat to look at. Yeah, and Knowing let's that-
1: let's 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 not forget we fumbled the ball a total of I don't know three times today. Thankfully, we were able to recover a few of those, but that's Matt Eberflus's fault. Carson Wentz throws a terrible interception, technically should have been two. That's Matt Eberflus's fault. I totally forgot when you give a team great field position, a defense is supposed to just turn around, not be exhausted anymore after just being on the field for nine straight fucking minutes of getting embarrassed and then getting back on the field with absolutely no break, and then they have to stop. A team that is apparently the 49ers of the fucking 80s, apparently is what Jacksonville does when they play at home against us but that's Matt Eberflus's fault. Kyle, I'm dead ass, bro. Reading Twitter today, I almost deleted the app and I love that app. Bro, Colts Twitter is so stupid, man. I swear, man. All of them are just I can't. Like seriously, are you going to blame my defensive coordinator when you're sitting here and I looked at our schedule and I'm just like, "Yo, we had some tough games. Like, we gave up 26 to the Jags. Understandable." We gave up 23 to the Raiders. Unacceptable. We gave up 16 to the Cardinals in Arizona. That's phenomenal. Patriots, 17. The Texans, 0. The Bills, 15. It's Matty Ruflusa's fault that we're 9-8, though. I can't fucking understand. It's it's mind-boggling to me that a defensive coordinator's on the chop block, but Frank Reich is sitting there getting a pass for playing like ass.
0: You don't? Yeah, sorry. No, you good, bro. You bro. Bro, trust me. Well, let's just say this. Uh, I guess our weekly therapy sessions when it comes to the Colts have come to an end for the 2021-2022 season, but they will ramp back up uh, in the fall, and I imagine that you will bring all the fireworks and flair that goes along with that going into next year. But disappointing season, to say the least, and especially how it ended for the Colts losing to probably one of the worst teams in football. So it kind of goes without saying, you know, it is what it is. But with that said, we are going to transition into a much more competitive game that took place between these two teams. Those two teams being the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. So the 49ers advanced to the NFC playoffs. They claim one of the last wild card spots beating the Rams by the score of 27 to 24. Uh, Jimmy G was sensational at the end when the 49ers needed him the most. He was able to lead them on a huge game-tying drive in the end of the fourth quarter. And then they were able to march down the field to get a game-leading field goal in overtime. And then the 49ers defense came up huge to get the game-winning game winning interception off of Matt Stafford at the end of the overtime period so Kevin to kick this one to you just how impressive was this comeback win for the 49ers against the Rams
1: I thought it spoke crazy value about this team their resilience Jimmy Garoppolo as a whole as a leader as a quarterback they were down 17 to nothing and they came back and they won this game in LA knowing that it's win or go home They did the complete opposite of the Colts, man. They really came out there. They did what they needed to do, and they found a way to go out there and win in enemy territory, and I thought that that was, like I said, in huge part to Jimmy's great play. I know that he had two interceptions, but they found a way to get it done. Elijah Mitchell played great. Debo Samuel played great. Brandon Ayuk had an amazing game. So the team really rallied around Jimmy's play, and I know Jimmy's also playing with a torn ligament and that throwing hand, so that does take a toll Uh, on his ability to actually put the ball in a good spot. I did see him miss a couple of passes, but flipping it to the other side, Matthew Stafford's had a horrible couple of weeks probably about a horrible month. Realistically, he's turnover prone. They're not winning, excuse me. They're not closing out games offensively like they should have. Um, San Francisco's pass rush was able to get to Stafford and sack him for five times. So you're looking at this and you're saying, well, Matt didn't really have much time to throw. Matt turned the ball over a shit ton. They weren't able to run the ball whatsoever. I mean, they averaged 2.4 yards per carry. So San Francisco's defense completely turned it up, and they just – I don't know what the hell happened here. I'm just, like, kind of stuck that L.A. kind of really fell as as much as they did. And I know they were winning games um, the last couple of weeks, but they were barely winning games outside of the Jacksonville blowout a few weeks back. So I just – I really can't put my thumb on it. Kudos to San Francisco – L.A. looks a little suspect going into the playoffs knowing that their defense has been playing relatively bad a couple weeks. So um, I'm really looking at this and I'm saying, I don't know if I want to play the 49ers right now because of how confident they are and because they've been winning when they need to win in order to get into the postseason. They finished the year at 10-7, and seven, which a lot of people did not see coming. I mean, myself included. Kyle and I were just talking about it before the episode had started. Dude, the NFC West has three playoff teams. And this is the hardest division in football. Three teams won double-digit games. That's just absolutely crazy to me. And they're in the playoffs. So kudos to the NFC West for showing that they are a competitive and tough you know, division in and of itself. Even the Seahawks going out there and spoiling the Cardinals' seeding, that's huge too. They go out there and they win in Pete Pete Carroll's probable last game as a coach in Seattle. but in regards to the 49ers Rams game, kudos to the 49ers for getting it done. They beat them earlier in the year in an embarrassing fashion. They come out here and they win in SoFi and overtime. And the 49ers going to the playoffs, bro.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kevin, I think, mean, thank God we actually got one of our picks right. You know, we've been kind of, uh, we've kind of been suspect on our picks here and there throughout the season, but at least we got this one right. And, the one thing that I got to give San Francisco a lot of credit for is just being able to weather the storm early on, because it did not look good for San Francisco in the first half, you know, being down 17, nothing on the road in a must win game to get into the playoffs is not ideal in any way, shape or form, but they were able to rally around each other and they were able to make a huge comeback in that second half. I mean, it wasn't just Jimmy G getting it done. I thought Debo Samuel had a phenomenal day as well. I mean, Debo Samuel is really kind of one of those Swiss army types where he's such a threat out of the backfield. Whenever they utilize him there, he's one of the best wide receivers. He's probably one of the most underrated wide receivers in the NFL. And then they used him in the passing game on a jet sweep. And then he was able to throw a pretty nice ball to Juwan Jennings that tied the game up at 17. So, just looking at the San Francisco 49ers, really that that last drive in the fourth quarter, that was absolutely pivotal. They needed that one to stay alive in the, in the playoff hunt. And, you know, they came up with some big plays, sp- specifically Jimmy G, because early on it did not look good on that drive. I think at one point it was like fourth and 18 early on in that drive in the fourth quarter towards the end of it. But they were able to get some plays together get a touchdown to Jawan Jennings with about 15, 20 seconds left. They win the toss in overtime. They get the field goal to put it up to 27, 24, and then the defense comes up huge. So all in all, I think San Francisco is really kind of coming into the playoffs on a hot streak here. They've been playing very well the last month, month and a half. I don't know how far they're going to be able to take it, you know, being in the playoffs, but I do think this is a team that is catching the attention of many in the NFC. And when you look at the Rams, this is a devastating loss for the Rams as far as their seeding goes. Because had they played their cards right and won this game, I think they could have had the two seed if I don't have my seeds mixed up if they won this one. But with the loss that they had against the 49ers, they dropped down all the way to the four. And going into the playoffs, you know, having the four seed compared to possibly the two. That's a world. That's a worldwide difference. So I don't know if it's going to prove to be that big of a deal in the playoffs because even though the, the Rams are a pretty solid team overall, I think they would have been a much more advantageous situation had they been the two seed compared to the four. So the Rams are kind of in a precarious situation right now. They did not finish this season the, the way that they wanted to. And I think it could have a lasting impact because, you know, for this team to make some noise in the playoffs as a four seed, they're going to have their work cut out for them. And um, they didn't help themselves by losing this game to the 49ers. But all in all, great game for the 49ers. They stay alive. They make it into the playoffs. And uh, I think it's a well-deserved win. And, uh, you know, kudos to pretty much everybody on the 49 ers staff and the players, the coaching staff. They got it done when they needed it to, so good on that.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Um, it's like I said before, <clears throat> I really don't necessarily think a team wants to see San Francisco right now. They can run yep. the ball. They can pass the ball. They have a great pass rush with, with Nick Bosa and the rest of those boys. And then, of course, you know, as long as Jimmy can just incorporate – different people into that offense, whether one day that's George Kittle, whether that's Brandon Ioke, and everybody knows that that ball is going to touch Debo Samuel's hands one way or another. Um, I think that they could be not a dark horse to go to the Super Bowl, but they could potentially spoil somebody in the first round. And I know that the seedings uh, are locked up right now. We'll get into those predictions in just a little bit. But, man... San Fran's no joke right now, and I think that they need to be respected because they have pretty much everything a team needs to go out there and make some noise in the playoffs.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, outside of the loss that they had against the Titans a couple of weeks ago, I mean, this team has been playing phenomenal. I mean, since about a month ago, the only loss that they had was against the Titans, but they beat teams like the Bengals, uh, and then they beat teams like the Rams. I mean, those are some pretty formidable opponents to beat. So when you look at this team from, I guess, uh, overall perspective, you know, I wouldn't say that they're a top tier team, but if they get hot, yeah, they could definitely make some noise. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, right now they're what they're currently sitting at the, I think they're sitting at the sixth seed. If I'm six, yeah. Mistaken. Cause Philly's
1: not Philly end of the year at nine and eight.
0: Yeah. So you know, San Francisco, they're going they to go, play the three. They're going to play Dallas. Dallas, you know, and that's going to be that's going to be a great matchup between those two teams. Uh, we'll get into those uh, a little bit later, but all in all, you know, you got to give San Fran a lot of credit for getting that win on the road. If you're looking at the Rams, though, and you're kind of limping into the playoffs and that is not something that you want to do. Nope, not whatsoever. But with that said, we're going to transition into our last game from week 17. I know week 17 week 18. And that is going to be in the AFC. We're going to talk a little bit about the Steelers and the Ravens game that took place. So in a very Steeler-Raven-esque game, because a lot of these games <laughs> tend to be very gritty, especially being in the AFC North, uh, the Steelers come out with a huge win on the road, beating the Ravens by the score of 16-13. to 13. Very gritty game. Goes to overtime. And kind of similar to the Rams-49ers game, a field goal is the difference. Uh, a big win for Pittsburgh. Granted, they still are not guaranteed a playoff spot yet. We just kind of have to wait and see how that Chargers Raiders games go. But as of right now, it does look like the Steelers do have an inside track to make the playoffs as one of the last wild card teams for the AFC. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how impressive was Pittsburgh in this win? over the Baltimore Ravens. Well,
1: I want to start this off with congratulations to TJ Watt for tying Michael Strahan for the all-time single-season sack record with 22.5 sacks. For those of you that are wondering, oh, he played an extra game, no. TJ Watt technically only played a full 13 games this year. He left a couple of games with injury and missed a few games with injury. So if you want to go and say there's an asterisk on it, no. Um, He missed quite a bit of games and battled through a lot of injuries to go out there and produce for this team. And they were in a bad way for the majority of this season. I mean, for God's sakes, Pittsburgh was looking atrocious towards the middle of the year. Pittsburgh was looking awful before Thanksgiving. God knows. And they found a way to go out there, finish this season in a positive note. Mike Tomlin goes and has his 15th consecutive winning season with this team, and that's just that speaks volumes to the coaching staff and the volumes to that Ben Roethlisberger is able to lead. Now, do I think if they do make the playoffs, it's They're going to go out there and get a win. Um, That's a stretch. But Kyle already made the point. It's an AFC North battle. You already know how this was going to go. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson wasn't active for this game. Baltimore loses six straight to end the year. Pittsburgh was kind of just relying upon dominating a backup uh, quarterback, in which they did. 16 of 31 for 141 yards. Tyler Huntley did not look good whatsoever. He was sacked three times. He threw through two interceptions. I mean, he had a QBR of 16.6 and a passer rating of 37.2. So, it's as bad as you could possibly get. Pittsburgh defense was swarming. Not that Ben looked that much better. I mean, Ben threw the ball damn near 50 times. He was 30 of 44. So, I know what you're thinking. It's a big difference in statistics. But, Overall, Pittsburgh finds a way to get it done, as they normally do in terms of being gritty. I think if Lamar Jackson's on the field, it's a whole different category. I don't know if this happens, but that's not the case here. Pittsburgh gets the W. Pittsburgh now awaits the result of the Chargers and Raiders game, and obviously, barring a tie, they're going to be able to get a dance or a ticket to the dance, and they're going to probably more than likely be the seventh team, yeah, more right?
0: than like Yeah, more than likely they'd be the seventh. I mean, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the Steelers, um, this result is kind of indicative of the season that they've had. Um, Gritty. Just these gritty performances. Um, They don't look pretty. They're not sexy in any way, shape, or form. But it's enough to get by. And, you know, despite the fact that they did win this game, to only beat the Ravens by three points without Lamar Jackson, It's still very concerning as far as I'm concerned, because the Steelers, I mean, if they happen to make the playoffs, because I don't really foresee the scenario of the Chargers and the Raiders tying. I just think that if they were to do that, they would specifically be trolling the Steelers. But I just don't think that they would do that. Um, The Steelers are going to look very vulnerable going into the uh, the playoffs here just because, you know, Big Ben. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, my God. Yeah, this little COVID thing is hitting me a little bit tough right now. Um, yeah, with the Steelers, it's kind of tricky because I don't know how they're going to be able to overcome the offensive side of the ball because, dude, this COVID thing is killing me, bro. <coughs> Holy fuck. It's Coming out of nowhere. Yeah, bro. You're telling me. But to get back on topic... Yeah, bro. Jesus, I got to take a minute on this one. Dude, drink some uh, water. No, I'll be all right. I'll be good. Um, (laughs) If anything, I'll probably get a bottle after we start our next segment. But to get back on track here, I'm not crying because the Steelers made the playoffs. (laughs) I don't want that to get that twisted. Uh, Just dying a little bit from COVID a little bit. But that's neither here nor there. Um, No, like, you know, for the Steelers to make the playoffs, I mean, it's a great feat for the season. Because Kevin... I think it's pretty easy to say that this team does not really look like a playoff contender in any way, shape, or form. But the fact that they were able to rally around their defense because their defense has been phenomenal throughout the entire throughout the entire season, and even though that the offense has looked at times like they've been sputtering, um, they've been able to come up with some big drives when the offense needs to show up, and in this game against the Ravens. They were able to get it done. Big Ben was able to leave the, was able to lead the Steelers on a game-winning drive that set them up for the field goal to get them the win over the Ravens. Now, if they were to make the playoffs, do I think that, that that could could continue? Probably not. Um, just because I don't think that that Pittsburgh defense is going to be able to carry them all the way to a Super Bowl run. I just I don't see that happening. The offense would have to step up mightily for that to change my mind but when I look at the Steelers I mean just a couple weeks ago I mean Kevin they got destroyed by the Chiefs by like 36 to 10 where they looked in no way shape or form competitive in that game so you know for the Steelers to get the win good on them they probably are going to get into the playoffs but I just don't think it's going to be much at the end of the day I think they're I think they're going to get bounced out in the first round
1: yeah, no, I don't. I definitely don't uh, see them going out there and you know making an upset. They're they're nothing like the San Francisco team that I, it's, uh, you know their counterpart in the N, in the NFC. So uh, again, gritty games pretty much all all day today, outside of you know the Colts. Pretty much, I'm gonna fuck myself. It's fine. Um, but you know, I know that we are definitely about to get into the seating, which I know all of you are so anxiously awaiting. So as of right now. The NFC is completely done. They're finished up, so we're going to start there, uh, only because, like we had already reiterated, the uh, AFC is still awaiting the results of tonight. So as of right now, one through seven in order. Green Bay's first. They get the bye. Tampa slides up to two with the falling out of everything else that transpired today. Dallas is the three seed. LA is the four. Arizona is the five. San Fran is the six. And obviously Philadelphia rounds it out at the seven. So, matchup wise, again, like I said, Green Bay being with the bye, it is going to be Tampa against Philly in Tampa. It is going to be San Francisco going out to Dallas, and then it will be Arizona traveling to LA. So, three really, really big games in the NFC. All of them very exciting. I would probably say, sadly, least exciting would end up being the Eagles and Buccaneers game. And the only reason I say that is because uh, Philly just has not been consistent on the defensive side of the ball for me this year to really go out there and compete against Tom. Tom is clearly an MVP candidate outside of Aaron Rodgers himself again. So uh, I know that Tampa also has ridden with a bunch of injuries. I would say that might be Philadelphia saving grace. <coughs> but, um, yeah, I know we're not diving into any, like, predictions or matchups. I was just kind of giving you, like, my opinion on, like, the least exciting game in terms of matchup, because everything else seems to be kind of adding up to be a great playoff weekend for the NFC. Now transitioning into the AFC, we have Tennessee rounding out at the top at the one seed, which means they get the bye. Kansas City is the two, Buffalo is the three, Cincinnati is the four, New England is the five, and the six and seven seeds are obviously still up for grabs with Pittsburgh's win. Uh, all that needs to happen is just no tie. And the winner of the Raiders game will get the sixth seed. And then that would mean that Pittsburgh slides into the seventh. Now, if Pittsburgh, if the game ends in a tie, meaning the Chargers and Raiders game, that means the Chargers and Raiders get the sixth and seventh seed and Pittsburgh does not get in. So, Still waiting. Obviously, I don't predict like Kyle had said earlier. Uh, I don't necessarily foresee a tie coming in this game. Uh, so we will have a, for sure six and seven seed announced by tonight after the game. But uh, if it were to end in a way where uh, the Chargers and or the Raiders win tonight, obviously that means Pittsburgh gets the seven. So that would be Pittsburgh against Kansas City again. That would then mean Buffalo would, place, would face the winner of the Raiders Chargers. And then Cincinnati would then play the New England Patriots. So, I mean, Kyle and I were talking about it just a few minutes ago before the podcast had begun. And we got every single prediction right as to who would win the division outside of the Cincinnati Bengals winning the AFC North. And then Kyle predicted the Washington Redskins, excuse me, the Washington football team, my bad, would end up winning the NFC East. I predicted the Dallas Cowboys. So your boy was seven for eight. Kyle was six of eight. Not too shabby. Uh, you know. Obviously, the wildcard teams were a little bit of a, a flop on and off all year. And then, uh, of course, the Colts kind of choking their way out of the playoffs was a little bit frustrating in and of itself, as you heard earlier. So, um, Kyle, I, I'm hoping you're feeling a little bit
0: better. But, yes, I'm, um, I'm good. I'm good. Uh,
1: what do you think about the, uh, the foreseeable matchups for wildcard weekend next week?
0: No, I think they look great on paper so far just because – I mean when I look at the NFC slate from top to bottom, you got some really good games here. You know, I think you're right about the Bucks game though. That Bucks Eagles game is probably gonna be the weakest just because I think the Bucks are like head and shoulders above the Eagles in that matchup. I think the one element though that you hit on the head was the injury aspect with Tampa. And really, Tampa has been dealing with injuries the entire year. Then you have the Antonio Brown situation that took place last week against the Jets. The Bucks are 13-4, but there's definitely some chinks in the armor for Tampa in regards to this matchup uh, when they face up against the Eagles. Now, when I look at the rest of the, uh, the NFC wildcard slate, I think that 3-6 that matchup is going to be phenomenal because you look at the way that the Cowboys have been playing throughout the majority of the season, they're definitely worthy of being a top-five team. And then you look at the way that the 49ers have played probably the last month or so. If they play their cards right and they turn the ball over, um, if they force some turnovers against Dallas, excuse me, they can win that game on the road. There's no doubt that I think that San Fran could definitely play spoiler in that matchup against uh, Dallas. And then that four or five matchup is going to be a great game just because it's the third time that these division rivals go at it with the Rams against the Cardinals. Now, both teams are kind of in a precarious situation because both teams have not been playing relatively well to end the year. But one does kind of get to claim redemption because just a win in the playoffs, you know, granted, you know, both these teams have been struggling to a certain extent. Maybe you can kickstart something because the Cardinals got off to such a great start this year, and then they kind of fell off uh, pretty significantly towards the uh, last third of the year. And the Rams, the Rams are kind of in a similar situation as well. They got off to a very good start, and then they kind of hit a bump in the road in the middle part of the season, and then they've, they've pulled off a couple wins here and there, but they haven't really been as consistent as I thought that they would have been and losing that game at home to the 49ers in the last game of the season. I mean, to go into the playoffs as the four seed compared to possibly being the two seed. I mean, that's significant and that, that could rear its ugly head in this matchup against the Cardinals because, you know, had the Rams been the two seed, you're going up against the Eagles instead of the Cardinals. Very much more, favorable, matchup. doable. Yeah. I, you'd have to favor the Rams over the Eagles had it worked out in that way, but it's a much more competitive game than I think the Rams were originally expecting going into the first week of the playoffs, but that's what you draw based on the performances that you had against the 49ers, which is subpar to say the least. Now, when it comes to the AFC, um, I know they're not set in stone yet. Um, I think that chief Steelers game, if the Steelers do happen to get in, which I pretty much expect that they will. um, I think the Chiefs blow them out. I I think that's going to be pretty much... A rematch, an unnecessary uh, rematch. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, unless the Steelers' defense plays lights out against Patrick Mahomes, I just don't see it happening. I just think the Chiefs are that good. Um, The the 3-6 matchup is going to be interesting because I think if it's the Chargers that get the 6 seed, That's going to be a good game. I think if it's the Bills versus the Raiders, I think the Bills win that one handily. And then, that leaves you with the 4-5 matchup. Now, you got Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals who have been playing red hot. And they've been phenomenal the last two, three weeks. Now granted, they lost week 18, but they'd already clinched a, a playoff spot. They'd already won their division. But, when you look at Joe Burrow in those last two games outside of week 18, I mean, the guy damn near threw a thousand yards passing. And I mean, Jamar chase probably had the best receiving uh, performance that we've seen all of this year. And probably the best rookie uh, wide receiver performance that we've ever seen. So that's going to definitely leave uh, the Patriots defense in a kind of a precarious situation because that Patriots defense, their secondary can be had, but I imagine that that matchup between Jamar Chase and JC Jackson, that's gonna be a fun matchup going into uh the, the first week of the playoffs. But that Patriots Chargers game uh Patriots Chargers, that Patriots Bengals game, I think, is gonna be a fun one to watch. And um, you know, I mean it's kind of really the slate that I see it as. Um, obviously the Titans and the Packers, uh, they have the bye weeks uh being the uh number one seeds and um I I think really the, the part that we're missing about the Titans here is they are getting Derek Henry back. Yep. uh, That is going to make a huge difference because this team was able to win the majority of their games after Derek left. And yet, despite his absence, they were still able to get the number one seed, which is just phenomenal as far as I'm concerned. So give kudos, give credit where it's due. Um, the Titans are, are going to be a scary team, though. But the Chiefs are going to be just as scary. The NFC, the, dude, the NFC is a toss-up. I, I really don't so know who to So many pick.
1: competitive teams, bro.
0: It, it, bro, if I, if I had to kind of guess it off top, just out of nowhere, just no analysis whatsoever, bro, I think the Bucks and the Packers were it the back in the NFC Championship. That's how I see it. Now, Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't put it past that either. You know, I I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if you possibly see another matchup of Aaron Rodgers getting the MVP again, and then they'd have another chance to get to the Super Bowl at home against Tom. But you know, we'll see. But this this Bucks team is not the same compared to last year. They are not the same. So um, that's just kind of how I see it. But I, all in all, I mean, bro, we got a good slate here. You know, we the uh, the NFL wildcard playoffs are going to be fun. I know that's going to be, it's going to be a mountain to, to to cover uh, when we do our episode uh, next week in regards to that one, that's going to be a big episode.
1: Yeah. It's going to be an exciting one to do, to do the predictions, obviously with everything going to go final by tonight with the result of the chargers game, uh, we'll be able to give you that full content probably Thursday as per usual, pending how Kyle is feeling, but God willing, he'll be good. But still man, playoffs playoffs are here. And this is what we all look forward to all season long.
0: Oh yeah. It's like, it's kind of crazy though, how fast the season went though. Like it's just week one, everybody's excited. It's back. And then all, all of a sudden now it's already over as far as the regular season goes. But I, or, I do want to ask you something before we uh, transition into the uh, national championship game. Um, just, What were your overall impressions of, of the NFL regular season this past year?
1: So we, we had, we had talked about it off air. I thought it was a weird year for quarterbacks. Um, not a lot of quarterbacks threw for 30-plus touchdowns or, you know, high 20s or whatever have you. It was kind of more of a – I don't even know if you could say a defensive year or, you know, not as, as as offensively driven. I mean, obviously outside of, like, you know, like Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and, like, you know, like the top crop, it, it was uh, a little bit of an off year for me. I don't know. Offenses, it, there weren't many big, big, big blowouts Um, I feel like the league is getting more competitive. As you can see, you know, three teams in one division are going out there and they're making the playoffs. I feel that this was a year, I think somebody said some kind of stat where this is the most plus 500 teams we've ever had in league history. So you can tell how truly competitive it is uh, in both conferences. And I, I really like the diversity that they're coming out there. Players like Debo Samuel, um, being a big playmaker Cordell Patterson um, players like that really get me excited because they're changing the dynamic of the play call from 30 rushes, 40 rushes back in the day before we were born to now it being, you know, like the Patrick Mahomes, 45 to 50 passing attempts, you know, the, the, the 50 yard plays now offenses are starting to incorporate a lot more consistencies to where you don't have to put pressure on one specific position. Of course, the quarterback has the most pressure no matter what because they touch the ball every play but in my opinion you're seeing a whole lot more of an equally split offense you know offenses are both running and passing the ball and i thought that that spoke a lot of volumes to the uh, to the modernization of where the league is going because let's be frank i mean you're not going to win every single game if you all you do is throw you can see that with the bills and the chiefs they started off rough and then teams that run the ball all day, they lead the league in rushing like the Eagles are nine and eight. The Colts right behind them at nine and eight. So you can tell that if you don't have a good balance, you're not going to be able to win. And uh, I thought it was a great year, man. I really do. I like the fact that there are some other teams in the playoffs that haven't been in a while or haven't been in, in in quite some years, but good for them.
0: You know, the, the interesting thing is like, I think we're getting to that point where, it seems by and large, when you look at, like, the quarterbacks specifically, you know, when it comes to, like, the, the masters of the quarterback spot, I mean, there's not too many left as far as, like, the old guys go. I mean, you got Brady and you got Rogers. I mean, you know, after that, though, there's not much left as far as, like, the older guys go. I think maybe, like, probably the next in line is what? Probably, like, Russell Wilson. Maybe probably, yeah, which is crazy to consider because, him old. But it's like the majority of these teams are so much younger, and I think what you're kind of, I think what you're going to see over the next couple years is, is you're going to kind of see like, okay, like which teams are going to, you know, kind of showcase themselves to be above the rest, just because, you know, the league had been dominated pretty much by and large by. You know, by, you know, the Patriots with Tom Brady, or you had like the Steelers with Big Ben back in the day, or, or the Ravens with Joe Flacco on the AFC side of the ball, or you had Russell Wilson and the, the Legion of Boom with Seattle. Really, the NFC's always kind of turned out a new uh, conference champion every single year. You really haven't seen consistency as far as like the same team getting to the Super Bowl every year. No, but, not at all. But it seems like that's actually kind of like set in stone now because like, you know, if you look at like the favorites, it's just like, you know, Tom, you always have to account for Tom. You always have to account for Aaron Rodgers being in the mix. But then after that, it's kind of open and there's a lot of room for these new and up and coming guys to showcase themselves to be a major force when these playoff games hit. So I think we're kind of in that stage right now because a lot of these young guys like, like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, you know, these guys are kind of coming into their own. Patrick Mahomes, he's coming into his own. And, you know, these are going to be the guys that are going to carry the league in a substantial way within the next three to four years. It's just that right now they're still kind of in their infancy part. Pat's kind of reaching what I would consider kind of like the, the late, early... The, the later early part of his career like you know his I mean.
1: adolescence or something
0: yeah like he's kind of like hitting like that stride but he's still relatively young he's only 26 years old yeah. but you know when i look at this year in particular you know really like a team like cincinnati they surprised me by taking the afc north um like you said
1: all of us bro
0: yeah I mean because we put picked the ravens uh to win the division they lost six straight to end the year um You know, in the AFC East, you know, I mean, you know, the Patriots are back in the playoffs uh, one year in with uh, Mac Jones. You know, I don't know if he's going to end up being work of the year. I think it's going to go to Jamar Chase. But um, he's definitely shown some good flashes uh, leading the Patriots back into some sort of playoff relevancy. Um, Yeah, that's really kind of the main takeaway is just the youth is kind of coming into their own in the NFL, and that's just kind of how I see it for this past season.
1: Yeah, and like we both said, it's been a good year overall. And I'm happy the way that the league is trending. So can't really make any complaints here um, other than it, as per usual, just goes too fucking fast. And, you know, now we got to wait until the playoffs are over for – the league year to kind of refresh and recycle and see what free agency brings. But outside of that, man, I'm just – I'm focused on the playoffs right now. Um, I have gotten over the Colts loss. We didn't deserve to be in the playoffs as it is. So I'm happy that this is how it ended up, and I can't wait for Wild card Weekend.
0: You still surprised that the Chiefs finished off at 12-5 and 5, based on the start uh, they
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely kind of a uh, little bit of a surprise. Update for you guys, the Raiders are up 10-7. to 7 with eight minutes left in the second quarter. Um, I believe LA has the ball and they are driving. I think that, yeah, no, they just got the ball uh, to start a drive. So it's, uh, charges are going up.
0: All right. I mean, it's a competitive game. I think everybody was kind of expecting that. I think if I remember right, you picked the chargers and then uh, I picked the Raiders in that game. So that'll definitely be a fun game to see how that one plays out. But, uh, a lot of uh, playoff implications riding on that game right now. Who would have thought that the Raiders might have a shot to, uh, to get into the playoffs, bro. Yeah. Who but, you uh, tell him. Exactly. But uh, with that said, we're going to transition into our, and if, I see, our college football championship prediction. I don't know why that was such a struggle for me to get that one out. Um, So we got Alabama going up against Georgia in the national championship. So to kind of give you guys an update, you know, Alabama is the number one seed. You got Georgia as the number three seed. Um, This has been the matchup that everybody's been expecting pretty much the entire year. Um, These are pretty much, as far as I see it, the two best teams in college football. It's not even close. Um, If you looked back at some of these semifinal games that took place last week, the... The gulf that exists between Alabama, Georgia, and everybody else is so stark, it's not even funny. And I think it's indicative of just where college football is at, but just the SEC is king. And, you know, you get the two best teams coming out of the SEC to face each other in the national championship game. And I think it's well-deserved. So, Kevin, to dude, to it's you. it's crazy. Oh, yeah, dude, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. But, Kevin, to get this one to you, we got the Georgia Bulldogs going up against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Who do you have winning and why?
1: I mean, I'm a Florida Gator fan. I don't want to see anybody from the SEC really win. Um, But obviously, it being the best conference in college football, you're going to get an SEC matchup, usually nine times out of ten outside of maybe Ohio State. Uh, and in recent years, the ACC was pretty dominant with Clemson and having, you know, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. But that seems to have passed and the ACC has returned back to irrelevancy. Um, this is a tough one for me, man. I don't want to see Bama win it again. Bama is the New England Patriots of college football. Nick Saban is the greatest college coach of all time. Obviously, the recruits, the players, the personnel, the coaching staff that he has acquired over the course of his tenure at Alabama is probably the greatest that we've ever seen arguably in sports outside of, of course, the Patriots dynasty. Um, but I really want Georgia to win. I just can't get over the fact that they butchered the SEC championship with some turnovers and that Alabama kind of just ran away with it. But I am going to pick Georgia. I'm going to th- I'm, I'm say that Georgia is going to find a way to, you know, uh, make up for the loss that they had earlier this, this year, or should I say earlier last year, uh, and I think that they are going to find a way to knock Nick Saban off. I think that the offense is going to come a little bit more prepared. I think that the, the dominant victory over Michigan gave them some confidence. They got a little bit in their swagger back. Um, but for Georgia to win, they need their defense to dominate. That is why Georgia is in the position that they are in. That is why Georgia was the number one seed, or should I say the number one ranked school in the country for basically the entire year. Georgia went out there and dominated everybody at full capacity. No matter the school, no matter the ranking, no matter the opponent, they were able to shut teams out. They were able to blow teams out of the water. And just for the record, I have their schedule here. They beat Clemson first game of the year, ranked ranked third. October, Arkansas was on that surge. They beat Arkansas that was ranked eight. Auburn. Another tough SEC game. They were ranked 18. Kentucky, a surging out-of-nowhere team in the SEC. Another difficult in-conference team. They win that game. They beat Florida, who was shit all year, but again, another SEC team. Missouri they beat. They beat Tennessee. And then the final ranked opponent that they beat this year was Michigan, who was ranked two, who won the Big Ten. So once again, they didn't just beat Scrubs. They didn't just play no-names. Granted, not everybody in the SEC is ranked, but they were able to dominate their opponents in convincing fashion. I need Georgia to dominate the way that they need to dominate, the way that they have been all year. They have to run the football, and they need Stetson to keep the ball away from Bama's defenders. They have to run the football effectively, and the defense of Georgia needs to swarm, and they need to beat up Bryce Young who obviously is the Heisman Trophy winner, another Alabama Heisman Trophy winner. Woohoo! But if that defense can find a way to get pressure, if that defense can find a way to get him off of his game and keep the ball out of Alabama's playmakers, I truly and honestly believe that this game can be had for Georgia. The narrative is always that Kirby Smart can't win the big game. Kirby Smart likes to choke, obviously, He did a few years back when Tua Tonga-Vailoa came in at halftime for Jalen Hurts, and they won with that wide-open, busted coverage to Devontae Smith in the end zone. Uh, But I think it's time to shake that narrative up. I do think that Georgia can go out there and win. It's a matter of starting this game off confidently, remaining consistent, and remaining dominant in their defense.
0: Yeah, I think this game is going to be more competitive than it was in the SEC championship game uh, over a month ago, because Alabama absolutely blew the doors off Georgia in that game. And really, the one thing that I will kind of take away from that game, in particular in the SEC championship game, was just how effectively Alabama was able to move the ball up and down the field against Georgia's defense. Because Georgia's defense, I think it kind of goes without saying at this current moment in time, that this is one of the best defenses in college football this year. It's not even close. They're probably the best defense throughout the entire uh, college football realm. And Alabama just destroyed them single-handedly like it was nothing. I mean, to put up 41 points against Georgia. I mean, that's an impressive feat. Now, I don't think that's going to happen in this game. I think it's going to be a much more competitive game than it was the first matchup that they had um, in the SEC championship. But to me, I'm going to go with Alabama in this one. And Kevin, I'm going to kind of take one of the points that you made. I can't trust Georgia. Georgia, for some odd reason, they just happen to fall apart when the moment is shining brightest on them. I mean, a couple of years ago, back in 2017, similar situation. They're playing for a national championship game against Alabama. And to attack a Viola, freaking hits a burner up the sideline to Devontae Smith for the game when he touched down over Georgia. Now, I don't know if it's going to be played out the same way where Bryce Young is going to do that with, like, Jamison Williams uh, to end the game. I don't really see that happening. But to me, Georgia is going to have to establish some sort of pass rush against Alabama's offense. Excuse me, Alabama's offense. And I just don't particularly see that happening uh, throughout the majority of the game. I think they'll be able to do it in spurts. But I do think that Alabama is going to just... I still think that they're going to be able to move the ball pretty effectively against this Georgia defense. It's just I think that Georgia is going to be able to put up a little bit more points to make it more competitive. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I do think that both teams are going to crack over 30 points in this one because in the last one, it was such a runaway. I think that kind of caught everybody off guard, but I think this is going to be a much more uh, competitive game where I think it's going to only be one position that that decides it. Uh, when I look at Alabama, I think they win this one by the score of like, I'm gonna say like 35 to 31. I think this is gonna be one of those games. It's gonna come down to the end. But when I look at the quarterback matchup, I, I got to favor Bryce over Stetson, even though that I think that Stetson has played pretty solid throughout the majority of the year, throughout most of the year. I'm just gonna go with Bryce on this one. I just think that overall, Alabama is more well equipped, and I think they're gonna be able to just get by Georgia in this one. But it's it's one of those things georgia's a very good team but i think they're just gonna fall a little bit short and that's kind of georgia's mo unfortunately and i think it's gonna show in probably the worst moment imaginable once again
1: i got a lot of georgia fan friends and i i don't know how that's even possible but meeting them in college and you know having actually know them personally in and out in terms of their fandom and how how much of a fan they are with georgia um Shout out to my friend Savannah and my friends Garvin and Garvey. Um, They are just the biggest Georgia fans you could possibly get, mainly Savannah, just because of the the situation that she's always in on Twitter and social media, where people are always coming for her neck sideways, like a girl's not allowed to know sports. But she knows everything about Georgia football. So I mean, if anybody's going to know anything, it's going to be Sav. So once again, shout out to my friends. But... I just Listen, they have one of the better tight ends in football, Georgia. They have a good running game. They have the league's best defense. They have a consistent quarterback. Not that he's great, but if he can just manage the game effectively, keep the ball out of Bryce's hands, and if that defense can give me some sign of life, that they can force some turnovers, that they can get to Bryce, that they can keep the ball out of the playmaker's hands, I, I truly and honestly think Georgia has a shot to go out there and win. Now, if they repeat anything from the SEC championship debacle, and I mean anything, whether that's turnovers or whether that's the inability to just stop Bryce Young, there's not a chance in hell Georgia's ever going to come close to another national championship like this because of how dominant they were all year long. And I mean, bro, I have the schedule. I'm pretty sure they shut out I don't know how many schools – they, they donutted Vanderbilt. They donutted Arkansas. They donutted Georgia Tech. They left Charleston Southern on seven. They left Florida on seven, Missouri on six. I mean, UAB at seven. They, they, they shut Clemson's offense down, who was third in college football, in opening night to three points. And then they go out there and they, and they bust Michigan's ass 34-11. Like, they have the personnel to do it. You know what I mean? They have the coaching staff that's ready to go. It's just Alabama knows how to win when it matters most.
0: Well, the, the part that, that I didn't bring up and I should have is is the coaching aspect. I, I mean, Nick Saban is head and shoulders above Kirby. It's not even close. 100%. And I think just from the game planning, just the, the strategy that goes into the game while you're setting up the game plan, I just think that he has these guys' numbers. Now, Georgia could, I'm saying Georgia could, they could find some weaknesses in this Alabama defense because this Alabama defense at times can be had. Just really, a team hasn't been able to do it enough to be able to overcome them consistently. Because I think if I remember correctly, I remember Alabama, they lost kind of earlier in the season when they were looking a little bit suspect compared to their usual selves. But to me, I really do think that the only way that Georgia's going to be able to win this game is if they're able to outscore them. Because I don't have a lot of faith that Georgia's going to be able to slow down Alabama's offense. If they're able to get a pass rush and force a turnover to, okay, maybe that's a little bit different. But I think Alabama's going to know that they're going to try to bring the uh, pressure against Bryce, and I think they're going to get the ball out quick. That's the best way that you can counteract a pass. That's the best way to counteract a pass rush. Just get the ball out quick, and just get yards after catch. I just think strategy, a game plan. I just think Nick Saban is head and shoulders above Kirby, and I think it's going to show out in that national championship game. It's just, it, it it's something that I don't, that we don't typically bring up as far as like just the coaching aspect goes. But it's such a stark. It makes history. a difference, man. It's a difference, and I think that's going to be on display in that championship game.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, Kyle mentioned Alabama's defense and I pulled up Alabama's schedule and I'm just looking at it and I'm saying obviously that one loss that they had earlier this year in October was to Texas A&M and like Kyle said, it was a shootout. It was a shootout 41 to 38. Mm-hmm. They went to overtime against Auburn 24 to 22. They almost lost to Arkansas 42 to 35. I mean, hell, UF played them tough. And yeah, we played th- them in the third week that, of the that, year, that, 31-29. That yeah. So we all know Alabama can score with the best of them. Alabama's got a great offense, but for Alabama to have a pretty shitty defense is a little uncharacteristic. And I'm not saying that they're bad. They're just not what they usually are. They did lose a lot of players in this past year's draft. But Georgia, thats that's that's, that's their bread and butter, bro. That's where they – this is going to be an offense versus a defense. 9 times out of 10 the saying always goes defense wins championships just not in college football but, uh,
0: but, <laughs> it, it, but it, it's just kind of crazy that like you know this is probably like one of the best rosters that Georgia has fielded in recent memory agreed and even when you look at Alabama would you say that this is technically a down year for bama as far as their roster construction goes
1: defensively yes because of how much they lost in the draft offensively they kind of just reloaded they have a good tandem and a couple backs that they got they have great receivers Bryce Young to me is an upgrade from Mac Jones because of his ability to be mobile and I believe that he set Alabama's all-time passing record last week or in the last game that they had played which was uh, against Cincinnati so it's not like they downgraded at all in the quarterback spot so I just genuine I just genuinely think like you said, Georgia's not going to get a better roster than this.
0: Yeah, it's just if Georgia can't beat Bama with this roster, I can't really find a way to believe that they would be able to beat Bama moving on forward. I, I really kind of find it I'd be hard pressed to really kind of believe that. It's just that even despite the fact that Georgia had probably the better roster in the SEC championship game, they got the doors blown off by Alabama in that game. And I think it specifically goes to coaching. I think it's just that Nick Saban knows what to do with his players to put them in the right spots better than anybody else. Not to say that Kirby doesn't. It's just that Nick does it better. Yeah. And that's, bro, that's the difference. Is that if you could be able to outcoach Nick, good on you, bro. That's well-deserved because it doesn't happen very often.
1: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm literally just looking at the statistics from the game before. I'm looking at it. UGA's running back Cook only had 38 yards. Stetson had two interceptions. Bama, Bryce Young, 421, three touchdowns. Robinson's running. Run, Robinson, the running back, he didn't really have much of a better game. He had 55 yards, but, but,
0: but, but Jameson Williams, Williams had
1: a, Jameson Williams had a 184 yards. So they, this, they, this, they this are missing. You can see.
0: They are missing Mechie, though. I think Mechie tore his ACL. Um, yes, in that in that SEC championship game, so they will miss his presence. That is something that Georgia can't exploit. But but Georgia
1: also has arguably one of the best tight ends in football in Brock Bowers. Brock fair, Bowers fair. had 139 yards in that game. Yeah, yeah, but that, so but it's not was... like Georgia doesn't have talent on their side either. But again. When you're facing an Alabama team like this, if you're not going blow for blow or getting consistent defensive stops, you're never
0: going to be able to keep up. Bro, they lost that game in the second quarter. They gave up 24 points in that second quarter. I mean, bro, like when Alabama gets going, bro, it's like an avalanche with the team that they're going up against. Like you have to be able to respond and, you know. It's tough. I mean, once Alabama gets cooking, it's it's very hard to stop that train. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I'm looking forward to it, but I, I think Alabama's going to edge it out. I think it's going to be a much more competitive game than the first matchup, though. I if Should've Alabama had
1: better be, bro.
0: If Alabama blows them out, uh, bro. What, what else do you want me to say? Like, I mean, Nick Saban's already probably the greatest uh, college football coach of all time. This is just another feather in his cap as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. There's no there's no competition. Yeah. There's no other coach. Oh, yeah. And if it's Georgia, it's like, well, they're just kind of living up to their expectation of choking again.
1: Yep. Can't have faith in Kirby if he can't get it done against the guy that matters most. I don't care if you go undefeated. Um, mm-hmm. You're never going to amount to anything if you can't beat Bama.
0: Hey, but this is a good time to show it. To show them what, what you're worth. Yes, sir,
1: but the Dallas Mavericks actually just got an upset and beat the Bulls, so I'm not too mad.
0: Oh, nice. We got one NBA topic left, my guy. You ready? Oh, yeah,
1: it's a good one. <laughs> I'm actually pulling up the the, uh, the Warriors game now to look at uh, Clay's
0: stats. And what are they?
1: I'm literally trying to get there as we speak, but, of course, the computer's taking an eternity. So, Clay Thompson is 3 of 9 with 7 points garbage but he's got three fouls They should cut him uh, this man
0: kyle so disrespectful i'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it, but it is something that we're going to focus on for this last segment and that is the anticipated return of clay thompson he is getting his first start of the 2022 season against the Cleveland cavaliers a much anticipated one that both he caught a body though oh he did Oh yeah. my, he drove it down the lane. He caught a body. Oh my. <laughs>
1: Clay said, Man, I got I got one leg and I'm out here. Boy on the
0: head. You don't really get to see him dunk very often anymore, so yeah. even before the injury he didn't dunk that often. Facts. But no, I think a lot of people have been expecting this Clay Thompson return and I think it kind of puts Golden State in a very good situation moving forward for the rest of the year. So Kevin, to kick this one to you. With Klay Thompson back in the rotation for the Golden State Warriors, just how impactful is his presence going to be for the rest of the year for them?
1: Well, I mean, his play is going to take some time to get acclimated, to get back in game shape. I mean, no matter how much you practice, how much you warm up, you have to get back into an offensive rhythm and a defensive rhythm. Kyle and I have talked about this multiple times on different segments of whether or not Clay coming back immediately into the starting lineup is going to impact Golden State positively or negatively, but it's going to positively impact them right now because you get a veteran back, you get a leader. The team loves him. He's a two-way player. So even if he's having an off- offensive night, you can really focalize and have him try to lock down one of their better defenders and the opponent, whoever it is they're facing. Tonight, obviously, it's Cleveland. But Klay Thompson's presence just in the locker room, on the sideline, and on the court are going to be massively impactful, especially for Steph Curry because opponents right now, can only go off of what clay used to be you can't leave them open you can't let him penetrate and you can't let steph just get around the perimeter and start kicking at the clay you got to double one of them if not both of them it gets really difficult to scheme defensively for the warriors who are already second in the western conference at 29 and nine so even if clay just runs a decoy all all night when his minute restriction ends He's going to be a, a focal point in this offense. And then we've talked about this also to where when Jordan Poole gets inserted, whether that's with clay or with Steph or all three of them are on the floor together, it is going to be a very difficult time for a lot of NBA defenses to, to scheme and, and try to match up against these three, all skilled players who can put the ball on the floor. All three of them can shoot the basketball very well. Obviously clay being the best defender of the three, but I think Clay coming back right now is huge, especially because Golden State's on just a tiny little bit of a skid losing two of their last three. And I know that that doesn't necessarily bode well because Steph has been having a couple of off games. This will uplift his spirits. His splash brother is back. And I think Clay Thompson being back after 900 and whatever days or that it was is good for the NBA.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kevin, I mean, there's really not much more for me to add other than that. I will make this one point about chemistry. I think that part, I think the chemistry between him and Steph, that's going to probably click within, like, the first couple games. Maybe with some of the role players, it might take a little bit longer, like players like Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins. uh, That may take a little bit longer. Um, But outside of that, I I think um, within probably the first – Two to three weeks of him back, I think he'll be back to his old ways, which is just being one of the best catch and shoot three point shooters in NBA history, arguably one of, if not the best one ever. So, you know, when I look at Golden State from the beginning of the year, I mean, they've been one of the best teams, not only in the Western Conference, but they've been one of the best teams in the NBA. And that's despite not having Clay in the lineup. Now that you have him back in the rotation on a consistent basis. How are you gonna be able to stop that consistently? I mean, you got Steph, the greatest shooter ever. You got Clay, who might arguably be the second greatest, third, third greatest shooter ever. Then you got guys like Jordan Poole. You got guys like Andrew Wiggins who have been stepping up in a significant fashion for Golden State, despite Clay's absence until this point. Bro, there's shooters everywhere for for Golden State. So I think really Golden State this year. Their championship window is wide open. And they can do pretty much anything that they put their mind to as long as they're knocking down their shots. Defensively, they, they're still a very efficient team on the defensive side of the ball. So this is a well-rounded unit. This is one of the best teams that you know we're gonna see this year. And I think it kind of goes without saying that, you know, that this team is definitely aspiring for an NBA title this year. I know it's been a couple of years since they've had one, but as long as they don't have injuries and that's always kind of a big if, I think that this team can compete for another title this year. I realistically think that they can do it. And I think Clay's presence being back in the fold, I think it improves that tremendously moving forward.
1: Yeah. The NBA is, is getting good at the right time. Um. Obviously, Clay coming back. They didn't even get Wiseman back yet. I'm telling you, man. This it's pfft. gonna be a team about to Rosser go. It's team about to go crazy, bro. It's team about to go crazy. Like I don't give a shit if Phoenix is there. I don't give a shit if it's Dallas, bro. Golden State is literally in a place to where you can make the argument they're looking like 2015 all over again, bro. They might be better than that 2015 team, and that was a 73 and nine team. I know that is a massive stretch, but personnel wise, how they're playing. And what they're getting back, it is going to be a scary time in the NBA, bro.
0: I would still, I would still argue the fact that their personnel when KD was there was better, but that's just me. But
1: well, obviously you have a, a, a yeah. top two player in the NBA side by side with Steph, and the, you know three top fifteen players depending on where you put Clay at the time. But I'm talking about 2015, the, the I year know, before I know. KD. Yo, I man. Know. Uh, if James Wiseman can just give a consistent double-double, like 12 points, 10 boards, a block, Javon yeah. Looney coming off the bench, Draymond being Draymond, whether that's energy, triple-double Draymond, defensive player of the year Draymond, it's going to go crazy, bro. I'm hyped.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they're one of the best for the reason, bro. Uh, they're one of the best for a reason, bro. And I think Clay being back in is going to prove huge for them moving forward. But uh, yeah. Kev, I I did my best, tried to uh, fight this COVID thing off as best as I could through it, but I I think it came out all right, except for that one stealer segment. That's
1: fine, bro. You just need bed rest right now. I'm hoping you're not gonna go to work tomorrow because you just seem up and down between being okay and then having a wave of a cough. But hey, your life, your
0: choice. I just want you to be okay. I I, I think I I think I earned a day off. I th- I I think I earned one. Man,
1: say I earned it. Like you went out, and you hung
0: over. This is like that has nothing
1: to do with that.
0: Bro, I was fighting it at work today. I was fighting it, so, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see Ooh, how it goes. Yeah.
1: No, Clay's Clay's uh Clay's dunk is already like swarming all over social media. If you guys haven't seen, it, you guys gotta go check it out. It's
0: kind of crazy. Oh yeah, I'll I'll go check it out once we're done here. But uh, Kevin, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? no sir
1: nfl playoffs are here the nba is moving obviously uh, college football is about to come to a close college basketball we are now in the run of march madness being just two months away so we'll see what happens we still have plenty of content for you guys the super bowl is still a few weeks away as well so we look forward to just being consistent like i've been saying and we appreciate any and all support
0: yeah you know whether you guys were listening on the audio platforms like Spotify or Apple podcast, definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Whether you were watching us on YouTube, um, definitely appreciate you guys tuning in to watch our videos. Uh, if you guys want to support the channel, you know, hit that like button below and always give us a, give us a subscribe. We always appreciate the support. Um, outside of that, I got pretty much nothing left from here. Um, you know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in. Um, hopefully you guys... You know weren't too annoyed by the fact that i'm a little bit nasally on this side but you know i did the best that i could so uh hopefully i'll feel a little bit better on our friday episode later this week but uh kev yeah, that's all i got bro
1: all right well guys thank you for coming and we will see you again on thursday Electric welcome to the candle power hour